Welcome to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Sheb. In this episode, I talk with two therapists about perfectionism and how it works as a major obstacle to long-term recovery. Director of Mars Women's Center Kaylee Binkley and therapist from the community Bianca Hughes both share how they've seen the unattainable goal of perfectionism continually undermine long-term recovery and meaningful connection to others for their clients. They also talk about how they both see themselves as people who need to address perfectionism in their own lives. We talk about how perfectionism keeps us separate and how letting go of perfectionism is not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime practice. So my name is Bianca Hughes. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Georgia. So my specialization is um, perfectionism, primarily with women, helping them embrace their imperfections and authentically be themselves. So I say to people, if you think of me, just think of perfectionism and authenticity. Okay. (laughs) Gotcha. And how'd you get into that? So I've had my own battles and struggles with, um, perfectionism and learned ways to come overcome them and um, just realizing those are the clients that I really enjoyed working with Um, and they were easier to work with because I kind of had a background in an inside knowledge. And what about you, Kaylee? Um, So I'm Kaylee Binkley. I'm also an LPC and I'm the director of the women's program here at MAR. Um, and we see a lot of perfectionism with the women who come in, particularly with our disordered eating clients often. Um, but I would say our women in general really Mm -hmm. have a lot of perfectionism that shows up. Mm -hmm. Um, and like Bianca, I myself have done some work in (laughs) perfectionism. So let's just kind of start from there. What is the, like, how does that kind of get lodged in a person's mind, this kind of unattainable, compulsive Mm-hmm. desire to be perfect because we all know that nobody's perfect mm-hmm. but then for some reason some of us get hooked into that and mm-hmm. and try and pursue that where where does that come from where does that start so i we do a lot of brene brown i love brene brown and she talks a lot about perfectionism um and her viewpoint is really that perfectionism comes out of shame. Um, she talks about perfectionism being like a 20-ton shield um, and kind of a, a response to shame in order to hide shame, in order to um, achieve things. And and so she talks about how perfectionism becomes um, kind of this shield where if you – from the outside look like you have the perfect life and you have the perfect job and you have the perfect house and you have the perfect children and you look perfect and your hair is done and you're wearing the right stuff, um, then you are protecting yourself from criticism or from, um, you know, other forms of rejection. So for example, like if I'm a woman who's insecure about my weight, which most women are, um, I might like really focus on wearing the right clothes and making sure that my clothes are like accentuating everything so that no one says anything about the thing that I feel the most shame about. I also think there's an element of perfectionism that, you know, once it becomes like the thing that that people carry, um, I mean, women like women like brag about it. Like when they come into treatment, like one of the things that, you know, they'll say like, they'll be like, oh, I'm such a perfectionist. Like, I know it's so hard for me, but it almost has become this like humble brag Mm -hmm. of like, oh, I'm like the worst perfectionist. It just, I think feeds, um, it continues to feed that like externalizing, that external validation. Mm. Um, like this idea of, of getting all of your validation from the exterior instead of the interior. And that's really ultimately what Mm -hmm. recovery becomes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's glorified. We talk, I talk Mm -hmm. about a lot about the, um, 
and I think that's sometimes one of the hardest things um, I know in private practice to get someone who's struggling with perfectionism in yeah. because they don't feel like anything's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the workplace, often um, employees and, and people who hire actually look for that mm-hmm. if that person's a perfectionist. But it's uh, it's only when they become overwhelmed and anxious or depressed or even turn to um, alcohol or, or, or drugs that we realize that, oh, maybe this isn't such a mm-hmm. good thing. Yeah. to look for and to kind of like brag on or, or highlight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what what would you, I mean, I can kind of, I can see the link between where substance abuse would come in to kind of relieve that pain mm-hmm. um, of the, being constant, constantly vigilant about mm-hmm. am I going to mess up? Is there anything else you want to say about that connection between substance abuse and perfectionism? Like, is that pretty common? Yeah. So I think there's the, there's kind of the, the more obvious connection, like you were saying, Matt, with, you know, a perfectionist has a high, you know, a relatively high level of emotional pain, a high level of stress. The other place where I see connection between perfectionism and substance use is um, individuals who have difficulty relaxing mm-hmm. um, or have difficulty coping with when things don't go exactly the way that they planned. Um, and so I think one of the secondary issues that we see a lot is anger um, with with men and women who have perfectionism as well. Um, that's one thing that shows up a lot in treatment. Um, they tend to get really angry at staff and at other clients when all of a sudden like things are not going exactly the way that they think that they should go. Um, and I think that's hard, especially for a lot of women, because women are socialized not to be angry and not to have anger. And so they may be really good at stuffing their anger um, mm. as well, as much as as coping with, um, you know, the perfectionism and the anxiety that comes with it. But I think for a lot of people, it shows up as like, I can't relax unless I'm drinking or smoking pot. I mean, marijuana is the Mm. other really big one um, that I see, especially with this younger generation. So when someone starts to try to abstain from using a substance to cover that up, Mm -hmm. then I imagine it's easier for them to start to see these patterns, right? Mm -hmm. Like that I'm constantly on guard that I'm going to make a mistake. And and I imagine they can probably hear what you're saying, too, that, like, nobody's perfect. It's okay. But how do you move that from understanding, like, in their minds to kind of living in that? Like, what sort of exercises or um, practice can you kind of lead them into where they can move from understanding that intellectually to actually being able to to live that way and be okay with making mistakes? It's... um you're trying to tell someone who has been using their survival tool mm-hmm. um, to let go of their survival tool and to be open and to be um, vulnerable. So, I mean, I'm always one big for the therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. And so um, given that space where they can be vulnerable and open and um, validating them um, allows them to have begin to have that experience that it's okay for me to be vulnerable. There are people that will not tear me down or won't criticize um, me. And that's a big thing that I do. I'll be like, it's okay to share your feelings. It's okay to cry. It's okay, you know, to experience that shame um, for my clients. So I think that's one of the um, big things that I ensure that we're actually doing it in the room with them. Um, And then um, I think a big thing is also identifying safe spaces outside of here, outside of the therapy. Um, 
And that's because they have to learn to begin to open up and begin to um, and trust people. So I think that's a, a an important factor. And you know, I'm always looking at what is the what is your work life like? Mm. What is your social life like? You know, are they healthy factors? for you because you can do everything in here but if you go back out there and it's and it's not healthy it kind of is not worth you know it doesn't really help always with the work inside so always making sure we're taking a look at that and making those safe um spaces um and really building on that trust in a therapeutic relationships is probably some of the first things that i do so i'm very big on checking in on their Mm self-care and learning to teach them how to incorporate that in their lifestyle Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the things that's really hard about working with someone who's trying to overcome perfectionism is that it that that seeking external validation is like another addictive pattern that they have. And so the first thing we really want to do is we want to stop that. So we want to stop the external validation seeking and start internal validation or even start spontaneous external validation. So, for example, if someone with perfectionism gets a lot of validation from like the work that they do and doing things right um, or like a big one is – like the things that they do for other people, like we'll give them validation for – letting other people do things for them because like, so let's say we have someone who's like a really rigid perfectionist in the community who, um, I don't know they're like overly controlling about the grocery store and the budget. And so when, what we explain to them is like, okay, so number one, you're exhibiting like your perfectionism and your control issues over this, but you're also robbing someone else of the opportunity to build their esteem by doing this act because someone who say is like really irresponsible, they've never gone grocery shopping before, you know, maybe some of the younger clients in treatment, you know, we, we explained to them like, you know, you, by you doing that, this other person's missing out on that opportunity. So when they do allow the other person to do it, we give them a lot of validation for like, Hey, you were able to like let the other person do that. That's great. Um, and usually they get a lot of the, – they'll start getting spontaneous validation from the community. So sometimes women are, um, you know, like really great at cooking or cleaning or something like that. And so we try and enhance the environment for there to be more opportunities for them to like give emotional support or support in a different way. And even though it's still external validation, it's not necessarily like one of my go-tos as a perfectionist. If like I'm the cooking, cleaning, like traditional maternal role person, um, you know, who's maybe bossy, then, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I give someone else some emotional support that sort of changes how, how I see myself. Um, And so, you know, I think that that over time is like a big, a big piece of overcoming perfectionism. Um, The other thing that we do uh, at the Women's Center is, so we do a lot of DBT, uh, which is dialectical behavior therapy. And a big part of DBT is teaching dialectics. And dialectics is essentially the opposite of perfectionism and black and white thinking. Um, and, And dialectics basically says that rather than it being A or B, it's both A and B. And A and B can exist together at the same time. And so it's all about seeing the gray and finding the gray in things. Um, and so we really incorporate that language into every group and every conversation. Um, the clients will 
correct each other. So but is like a, a word that essentially we don't want to use in DBT, like in dialectics. You don't want to say like, I'm sorry, but I, you know, insert rationalization here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they correct each other from but to and. And so, okay. you know, that I think is another way that we just sort of challenge in really small ways this idea that you're either perfect or you're not. You were talking about it as an addiction, like mm-hmm. this addiction to validation from mm-hmm. the outside. So what happens when that validation stops or it's not like what do withdrawals from this validation look like if we're making that one to one? Yeah. Oh god. I mean I I mean I'm going to always just share my personal experience like that's a spiral. You know, if I'm not in a healthy state, like thank god I can recognize when I'm about to spiral. But um yeah, um, I remember recently being in a situation and I was in a spiral and I actually happened to be having a therapy appointment and my therapist was like, is this what happens? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I just like, it's just like your mind is going just a hundred million miles and you're trying to, you know, kind of make sense and get some form of control because you totally, of course, it's a lot to do with control. Mm-hmm. And so you're losing this form of control and that's why, you know, you can obviously turn to, um, things like um, the alcohol or, or the drugs because you want some sense of um, normality and trying mm-hmm. to get something from the outside because you're totally unable to even connect with yourself and find it from the inside. And yeah. so I kind of call it the the perfectionism spiral mm. when that external validation is gone. You're like, well, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And you have no way to get it inside. That's what happens. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that um, a lot of former athletes deal with. Like if, you know, your perfectionism has has largely shown up um, either in a sport or in a career, um, and a lot of professional athletes talk about this too, like when they retire, they feel – um, sometimes kind of depressed. And mm-hmm. I think you they you go through a, a grief cycle with it. Um, we're really fortunate when when we work with women on this when they're at Mar that we're able to do this really nice sort of taking out the external validation and like changing it to other forms of validation and self-validation kind of at the same time just because we have this very large, you know, community and this, you know, big intensity to the program. Um, but I do think, I mean, we see a lot of anger when that comes out. Um, you know, sometimes when, you know, caretaking is a big one, um, you know, women who, uh, when they first come into treatment, someone will be in a group and they'll be really upset about something and the staff will just let them feel that negative emotion, whatever that is. And they might cry or whatever. And new clients are like, you know, they, we call it, we call it rescuing. So they sort of want to jump in and say, but you're so lucky that blah, 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 or like insert fake optimism, whatever that is. (laughs) And, um, you know, they, they often get confronted and we're like, you know, you, you can't rescue people like that. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's not like what we're Mm -hmm. doing. Like what, what we're doing is we're learning to Mm -hmm. like hold space for each other and Mm -hmm. like be vulnerable and sit in negative emotions. Um, and many women have got, have been angry and upset when we've kind of said, you can't do those things. Um, if that's, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of one of the ways that they're, 
Um, perfectionists do tend to be, I think, uncomfortable with any negative emotions mm-hmm. of anyone. Um, and so that's kind of just a piece of it. But I think we see a lot of anger um, and fear, um, especially women who, like Bianca was saying, with the the identity piece, if you identify as like, I'm a perfectionist, um, when we sort of point that out and say like, hey, what do you think about taking that that perfectionist mask off, um, that can be, can be really scary and really frightening. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think when we see fear, that's, that's a very authentic response. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really real. Um, that mask of, of super mom, super woman, you know, you can do everything. And by the way, you're making it look easy and you made homemade banana bread for breakfast this morning. (laughs) Um, I think that's, you know, and I think, you know, tying it to a a 12 step principle, a lot of that is, is tied to ego. Um, and so, you know, I think it's really important that women, especially who are in recovery from, from addiction and substance use disorders are able to, to kind of live the principles of the 12 step program. And, um, they certainly do better when they can connect their perfectionism to both fear and ego at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so fear of rejection or fear of hurt or shame. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it goes back to shame. Um, mm-hmm. but also knowing that this is going to come back up, your perfectionism is going to come back up. And the antidote to that is authenticity. Mm-hmm. So discussing your failures authentically with people who you trust, mm-hmm. um, is, is really big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you need to – is it kind of like you need to find people that you can relate to in that shame or whatever's underneath the perfectionism mm-hmm. to heal? Yeah, absolutely. You can't, yeah. you can't just go there by yourself and heal. No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, no, no. no and right. I don't even think you can just go there with yourself and a therapist. Yeah. I think, you know, Bianca, you probably work a lot with connecting clients to – either a support group or someone in their life who struggles with some of the same things. Um, AA is a really nice place for that, especially women's meetings. Um, Mm -hmm. You get a lot of, a lot of that, um, those conversations. Right. Cause then other, you can talk to other moms or whatever the the role is. That's why I kind of definitely like, I always push the 12 step or some mm-hmm. form of group because I, 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 there's no way I can do it all alone. I'm just mm-hmm. one person like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I won't be here forever. And mm-hmm. that's why I kind of talked about at the beginning, like who are your safe people? Who can you trust? Yeah. And if you don't have that, then you need to build that because being in here with me, you're going to have to do some things outside if you really want to yeah. um, do better. So yeah, I'm always connecting people or yeah. if I see events, I'm like, go here, go here. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's even hard to get my clients to go, but I know that those yeah. are the spaces that they need to be in to begin to let down mm-hmm. that shield and, mm-hmm. and, and that mask and, and find a safe space. And they have to take a risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in the media, you're constantly being bombarded with, you know, advertisements and mm-hmm. magazines and celebrities and, you know, everything's so yeah. easy. And, um, and so like creating opposite messages and being really intentional around the mm-hmm. content um, mm-hmm. that I consume, but also like just really focusing on on people who are, are authentic um, and messages that are really authentic. And, and especially with the rise of social media. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, you know, I like you, 
I have to remind myself, I think one of the big things is being a therapist is great in the sense that I know everyone doesn't have it together. Mm -hmm. And so I know that everyone has a story. And so I have to remind myself when I'm scrolling, um, when it does look like it's Mm -hmm. perfect or like they're really doing it, I'm like, breathe, stop, Mm -hmm. pause. They have a story. There is more to Mm-hmm. to what you're seeing because the influx of social media I think yeah. that's one of my big um challenges with a lot of my clients um I saw this on social media but this so-and-so mm-hmm. is doing this on mm-hmm. social media or I saw this post and I'm like oh my gosh so I think that's been a big issue is mm-hmm. is, is is social media yeah, and there's been some new studies that have come out that it's really been found to have a negative impact on on self-esteem um, and and uh, sure, self-compassion yeah. too. Mm-hmm. So there's like a very direct correlation between the number of minutes you spend on Instagram mm-hmm. or Facebook or any of these mm-hmm. other platforms to how you feel about yourself um, because there's, you know, inherently you're comparing your insides to other people's outsides. That's what mm-hmm. I tell my clients all the time, yeah. especially while they're doing this, this particular work. If you're trying to stop yeah. perfectionism and um, trying to stop external validation seeking mm-hmm. um it's tough and i and i i'm actually on a break right now that's died yesterday from social media um and so I, I always tell clients like i really don't tell you to do anything that i don't do or mm-hmm. will not do yeah, right. or have not done um because they're like oh, and i'll be like no this is what mm-hmm. i've done and this is what's proven to work and yeah and i think that's yeah i even just you know for my own struggles and my own stuff it's just some personal reasons but yeah i just i just came off social media and then mm-hmm. sometimes i'm just like i i it's it's an overload and i recognize that it's an overload and i recognize where it's going so i think that also once you get to that healthy stage of being authentic and mm-hmm. being vulnerable and being courageous you can begin to naturally bring in that breaks of the mm-hmm. social media and you and mm-hmm. you begin to recognize the signs and and have a healthy balance i think that's what that's why I always, you know, work on helping people embrace their imperfections and authentically be themselves because that's the place where they want to be in the end. Um, so I think like in in general, there's a quote that sort of embodies this. Um, and I have no idea what the source is, but I quote it all the time. It's um, letting go isn't a one-time thing. It's something mm-hmm. you do every day over and over again. And I think that healing from mm-hmm. perfectionism is very similar. It's about waking up and letting go of those expectations and not allowing your mind to be clouded by what are other people going to think and, you know, what can I do to um, get this quote unquote right, um, whatever, whatever those kind of labels might be. Um, and I think it's something that happens, you know, pretty, pretty slowly. I think people, um, kind of look up and it'll sort of, this is how, how my recovery has been like, you know, kind of looking back and being, being like, gosh, like, I can't believe that. I can't believe that I felt that way. I can't mm-hmm. believe I thought that, um, that's so hard to kind of look back and relate to. But I think as women are in the program and, um, you know, kind of let go of, of these things that they have held on to. Sometimes it's, you know, a particular job, um, like this, you know, this job is everything. Working at this particular place is everything. Um, you know, I've got to do this or I've got to do that or I've got to go to, you know, 
grad school or whatever those things might be. Uh-huh. I think letting go is is letting go of the idea that there's one particular thing that's going to fill you up um, and realizing that it's it's a million little things that fill you up. And if recovery from perfectionism and or alcoholism is anything, it doesn't seem like it has much to do with competition. Um, right. Yeah, perfectionism really keeps people... Um, you know, separated and Mm -hmm. and so guarded. Mm -hmm. And so in order to like authentically be in relationships in the 12 step program, Mm -hmm. you have to, um, you have to be present. You have to be there. Um, I've, I've had perfectionists at clients who, um, if they don't drop their perfectionism, they can do the 12 steps. They can go to meetings, but they don't experience the psychic change because they're still using this perfectionism. They're still mm-hmm. like mood altering with something else. Um, and so it, it really doesn't work unless you drop that that piece of it and do it really authentically. Um, you know, if you do a fourth step, but you leave out like the three worst things you've ever done or the yeah. three hardest parts of your life, you're not really going to feel that much better afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might feel better. I hope you feel better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you're not going to like really get the release of it because you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I left out that one thing um right and i think a lot of a lot of people who are still stuck in perfectionism have trouble with that um Mm -hmm. i actually think it's one of the reasons why people fail in early recovery is perfectionism and it's one of the things that i think the 12-step program even at times struggles to address because it's basically it's like all right well this is a program of action and you, some people need more education and they need more therapy to work through. Why can't you be authentic mm-hmm. in meetings? Why can't you be honest with your sponsor? Um, if you call your sponsor every day and you don't tell them anything or like you tell them 98% of it, you're not really going to, you're not really going to get it. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I think that's one of the common reasons why, why people end up in treatment. Um, they're, they're sort of common, you know, kind of patterns that people get stuck in that keep them from being able to get AA on their Mm -hmm. own, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes they come in and, you know, they blame AA or like Mm -hmm. AA doesn't work for me or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, And so perfectionism is, is one of the things that uh, we really Mm -hmm. see get in the way. So what, what is one thing that you would pass on to people who are listening? uh, If you could about this topic, you, you may not even realize the the jail that your your own mind and your own decisions have built around you and your life and you don't have to live in it. Mm. You might not even know what that means. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um I think I would say you have options. You have options cuz it often feels like you don't Mm-hmm. have an option and this is the only yeah. way to live and the only way is to be perfect and the only way you can be accepted or be loved or discover your worth is to be perfect mm-hmm. and you have options and often I hear people say I don't feel like I have a choice or I don't have a choice and I always say you do you just might not like the one that you need to choose because it might be harder or mm-hmm. unfamiliar mm-hmm. but you have options yeah so, I guess often it just feels like all I have, my only option is just push, push, like push mm-hmm. harder, try mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. you're, we're missing a whole lot of mm-hmm. things on the periphery here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
I think the only other thing that I would highlight is just that perfectionism really, although it, it may seem when you're in perfectionism, like you're getting everything that you need out of relationships, um, it's, it's not authentic. It's not, it's not real. Mm. And I think when someone is like in the deep throes of perfectionism, Mm -hmm. it's hard for them to even like understand or fathom what we're talking about. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of the, the person who, you know, if you're someone who like, when you're with your close friends, you feel really alone, like you might be the kind of person who needs to come to therapy and like talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that you've, you know, through perfectionism and and a fear of a lack of vulnerability, you know, created these these um, just inauthentic relationships and you can't really experience acceptance and community without authentic relationships. Um, and this is particularly true for women because there's so much competition in women Um you know, like your neighbors become, you know, the people whose, you know, their kids compete against your kids on swim team. So like they become your enemies or mm-hmm. something. It's all, you know, kind of, kind of small and petty, but feels really big at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I just think that creating authentic relationships is, is very big. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot of people who can help guide you on that. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for doing this. This was absolutely really thank great. you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. Our show is co-produced by Angela Edmonds, and our executive producer is David Tate. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>